Titan. You drank Ian. Adam. You drank Ian. You like you like purple, right? And Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Frames and Fools. It's a movie podcast where me, Henry, and my buddy Dylan talk about movies. And uh, this week, Dylan isn't with us. Instead, we have Tyler, who uh, showed up first on our Hail Caesar episode, episode 38. Tyler, how's it going? It's going well. Yeah, tell us a little bit about yourself. I realized when we had you on the first time, we didn't really uh, delve into who you were. Who is Tyler? Who is Tyler? Tyler is, uh, I'm going to graduate school for writing fiction. I'm going to get an MFA. So I have a lot of interest in stories. Mm -hmm. Uh, Former coworker of yours. Yeah, that's right. We worked at the same uh, cafe together. Yeah. Yeah. movie enthusiast mm-hmm. i watch lots of movies i like them i think like thinking about them yeah and you've actually read the book that our movie this week was adapted from and uh what what movie is that tyler <laughs> that movie slash book is wildlife uh yes uh and richard ford is that the name of the richard ford was the yeah. writer of the novel came out in 1990 i believe um so the movie is directed by Paul, is it Dano or Dano? I never know. I'm going to go with Dano. Dano? Paul Dano? Okay. Uh, yeah. Directorial debut, actually, from uh, Paul Dano. Yeah. Um, he co-wrote it, I believe, with his partner. Yeah. Um, Zoe Kazan. Yeah. And it's, it's sort of been something that's been gestating for a long time. Uh, but before we get into that movie, uh, we like to do a thing here on the show called Movie Moments, where... Uh, Sometimes in life, you have a moment, and it just feels particularly cinematic, and you sort of carry it with you, and half the time, you have no one to share it with, because it's usually something that sort of happens when you're on your own, but uh, you have a movie moment, Tyler. You know, I do. I do. Nice. Uh, This morning, actually, I was uh, delivering some food from from my mom to someone else, uh, to a relative of mine, and I had about four things in my hand as I was leaving the house, getting into my car. And there was just a, a moment of zany dropping of things, and then I would bend down and pick up another thing, and then another thing would drop after that. Uh, it felt very silly. Did all the food survive, or was it a... Uh, are we talking it, like cans rolling everywhere? It did. Like? No cans, but, you know, like, some random, like my notebook, and mm-hmm. uh, I had a, a bag of coffee that fell on the ground. Was this born out of the, uh, your mom's like, hey, can you help bring in the groceries? And like, you bring in like eight bags at once because you're like, I'm going to do it in one trip, damn it. Was there like that sort of uh, motivation behind no, no, the pile the f- of things? The food was just in a big box. And I gotcha. had a few extra things that I had to put on top of the box. Nice. And so they just all sort of tumbled everywhere. Very zany. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. I, you, uh, Henry? Yeah, I had a really good day. We're recording this on a Monday, and yesterday was very uh, very nice. It was very fun. I, I went on a motorcycle ride in the morning with my folks, a friend of ours, and a friend of our son, who's back from college and missed his motorcycle, which that was me 
at that age as well. So it was really nice to sort of participate in helping somebody get that. Uh, and then I came home from that and actually taught a friend how to ride a motorcycle. Ooh. And uh, yeah, took like two and a half hours, but they went from never having sat on a motorcycle to doing laps in second gear, third gear, wow. around my uh, sort of little cul-de-sac. Which so is are you envisioning wild. this as a, a montage scene a la Rocky? <laughs> or, uh... I mean, kind of. It's funny. Like it, it happens quicker than you think. The two factors, I think, that sort of determine how well someone will pick it up is whether they uh, rode bicycles as a kid, which is not uh, a given, I've found, yeah. shockingly, because I grew up riding bikes all the time. Um, and whether or not people know how to drive stick shift. Because mm. um, if they have the knowledge of how a manual transmission works, uh, huge leg up. Um, even though there are some pretty big differences between stick and motorcycle, it helps so much if someone's already familiar with that sort of relationship between a clutch and the gas and everything else so hmm. but super fun it was just one of those days where like i kind of had a kind of had a down week a little bit and was starting to come out of it been making more art been you know talking to more people and uh yeah it was just really nice to like go on this beautiful ride and sort of you know see someone who's like where i was at on my motorcycle journey and then being at the beginning of somebody else's motorcycle journey it was just really nice it was a very very solid day was there a cinematic moment in which the person you were teaching realized that they knew how to do it and yes celebrated and yes it was fantastic they also picked it up i think quicker than anyone i've ever taught and but there was definitely like the moment where you could hear you know, I'm just laughing in the helmet and like that moment where it clicks and I can hear like the engine, like the smoothness and just like watching it happen. And it's like, it's very, very satisfying. Yeah. So oh, cool. Yeah. I have a, a good movie moment for once. There you go. <laughs> oh man. All right. Yeah. Um, perfect. Let's talk about wildlife. Let's talk. Um, let's talk about the title first. Uh, because I, had this strange dissonance in my head where this whole time I've been calling it wildfire, even though I've been typing out wildlife, like my thumbs know it's called wildlife and I'll go, no, no. Uh, because in the story there is a wildfire that sort of rages in the background. And um, I'm really excited to hear you get kind of English classy on the metaphors and illuminate some of the, uh, larger themes because i i have a, a slight grasp on it but what do you think the title is that's meant a good to evoke you know that's a good question don't they they say wildlife at some the the word comes up at some point like kind of late in the movie yeah right? the uh, mother about halfway through pulls the kid out of school says like hey like let's let's skip school today and this is after the father's gone and oh, we could probably do a, a summary of the plot as well but uh so the father goes off to, he loses his job, and he goes off to fight a wildfire in this sort of menial, um, low-paying, very dangerous job, which becomes this point of conflict, and then the mom goes back to work and sort of starts uh, making, making different choices, and we see a lot of this through the eyes of this teenage boy, their son. Um, but when they go out, she drives out to the wildfire, and they go past the firemen's camp, and she does it to show him 
this thing, this force of nature that has become this sort of force of nature in their lives. And uh, at one point, the kid asks what happens to all the, the animals that live there. And she's right. sort of talking about, like, you know, most of them adapt. Some of them are, some of the smaller animals don't make it. And says, like, oh, I used to cry about it. But, like, my dad said it wasn't, it wasn't worth crying over. Something like that. But that's where the word I think comes in. yeah, I think that's the only mention as far as I can remember. Yeah. I mean I I mean that's one of my favorite sequences in the movie. And mm-hmm. I, I it's interesting it's an interesting thread to pull on. Like, how does she know anything about what happens to animals? It You know, I mean yeah. I mean I, it mostly sounds like she's kind of someone's told her something. She's the kind of character that makes assertions the entire movie. Um, she never apologizes once for anything the entire yeah. movie. She says things with this authority and a bit of a dramatic flair. Um, but there's this implication when she talks about her dad telling her what happens to those animals that she grew up either in a place similar to this or somewhere where this is an issue. But it's kind of a similar thing too. Like when Jake Gyllenhaal, um, who plays the father, Jerry, um, when he mentions like i've been reading up about the wildfires and like he yeah he did some research and he looked into it i'm always curious too because this movie's set in 1960 in montana and this is gonna be the most millennial thing i've said all week but like how did people figure that shit out before any sort of internet like was that mostly a library thing was yeah i would think you go to the library periodicals like some kind of yeah exactly because i i just i don't know how do you find out like you know the ins and outs of a wildfire like she also knows uh like what the trees are called that are left standing and she knows like oh she says like you know what they call trees when there's a wildfire fuel isn't that interesting yeah like she's yeah. you know doing that whole thing well and um to the point about um jerry researching fires and learning about them people also didn't know anything about them back then yeah you think no, I mean, like, for, you know, up and all from then all the way till now, they mm. still, like, mismanage them and, like, you mm. know, put them out as soon as possible. And then we get these huge fires that happen partly because nature wasn't uh, allowed to run its course. Yeah. Like, okay. all this fuel has gone un, unburnt, you know. Yeah. Well, you're, you're something of an outdoorsman. You, uh, yeah. Backpack and you, uh, climb great things and survive in the wilds yeah so i feel like you you're probably more intimate with some of this yeah have you been to montana have you done any sort of adventuring up there not montana yet uh i I was like right on the border of montana last over the summer in wyoming but nice yeah not both very beautiful states i i will say i don't know what it's like to live there but incredible place to visit yeah Um, beartooth pass is a road that sort of winds its way from Red Lodge, Montana, down across the border. And it's one of the most beautiful places I've ever been in my life, if not the most beautiful place. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, but to your question, I, um, I think that there's a sense that a child has or that someone younger has that that there's some order to things, right? Mm. That... We are somehow like civilized, mm-hmm. that we are different than the animals. And I think this movie is a sort of 
this character realizing that we're all, you know, maybe it's a little on the nose, but that we're all wildlife or that we're all yeah. these animals trying to figure things out. Just because something's on the nose doesn't mean it isn't true. True, right? yeah, and totally. I think um, to that, I think this movie speaks very plainly in a way that ends up being incredibly uh, potent. Like, it, it uses simple words to say very, very complex, very true things. Um, and I think what you're saying about, you know, being a child, and we do watch this through the eyes of this teenager, I think there's also this expectation as a kid that your parents know what's going on. They're handling it, they're taking care of stuff, and there's this faith in them that when you kind of get to that teenage age, I mean, I think it's different for everybody depending on your parents and like what you're sort of exposed to. Um, this is a movie very much about um, being a parent and how much of your life spills into that relationship and how much do you, you know, how does that affect your choices? That's how I kind of read into a lot of it. And, and that's why I think it's interesting uh, thinking about the fact that Gene doesn't, really have any real way of knowing mm -hmm. anything about the mother players. played by uh, carrie mulligan yeah jean yeah. jeanette i guess her full name is jeanette but mm -hmm. she goes by jean a lot very time. trippy uh because my mother's name is actually jean as yeah. well so very trippy watching a, a movie about a mother named jean uh, also every character's name starts with j oh shit oh yeah fun fact fun fact yeah joe jerry jean yeah but but i think it's interesting like you know, she speaks with that authority mm -hmm. before all of the real crazy things that she decides to do happen. Mm -hmm. Before Joe sees, oh, my mother is just this human being who yeah. doesn't really carry any special kind of knowledge or anything beyond like what other people know. Yeah. Um, and and I think like the same is true for the father and like uh for for jerry you know mm -hmm. again like he read about fires and that's that gives him some kind of authority but no one's actually acting out of any real authority mm -hmm. in terms of knowledge in this yeah. you know they're all just trying to figure things out and i think the beginning um especially i i watched this about one and a half times so i like to go back and after you've seen the ending of something sort of that recontextualizes a lot of stuff and i i find that second watch to be really valuable um it, it was interesting that in the beginning they are sort of there for each other and they are sort of supportive and encouraging and, you know, their best qualities are kind of on parade, um, which is something that sort of comes up. The, the mother becomes very quietly sort of insecure and the dad calls at some point from the fire and she immediately says, like, Something to the effect of like, oh, you guys were talking about me. Like immediately jumps yeah. to that. And um, yeah, it's, it's just sort of interesting that that edge and that sort of assertion and almost that sort of like blunt, almost rudeness towards Joe and sort of to the world starts to creep in. Like at the beginning, she's um, like, it's not that it's perfect, but like it's a fairly idyllic sort of you know, 50s, 60s, suburban, like, put, put dinner on kind of thing. Like, it starts off with them literally playing catch in the yard. Yeah. And um, as it sort of devolves, you sort of see them both sort of grab onto this sense of I know what I'm doing, whether it's 
you know, getting a job, whether it's finding your own way, whether it's, you know, making choices out of pride. But that, that does seem to sort of come up this, this sense of authority and this sense of knowing what the hell's going on. Yeah. Well, and I, I think like for all that they show in the beginning, they really have no idea what they're talking about the whole time. And mm-hmm. like you see the sort of idyllic family dynamic mm-hmm. where they're all supporting each other and and what is it held together by yeah you know, as it unravels you start to realize like what was the glue like right what like was this was inevitable glue? like this was gonna happen mm-hmm. at some point um you know like jerry can cont- like this is not jerry's first time losing a job yeah um which lots of people lose jobs mm-hmm. but it, it doesn't it seems like it's sort of this and the response pattern. sort of becomes a pattern yeah yeah like it, they they definitely hint at Oh, like you'll you'll lose a job or you'll do something, and then to find a sense of self, you'll relocate or you'll. She frames it as him running away, right? Um, and he frames it as I have this this hum inside my head, and I have to do something about it, uh, right? Um, and I think it's it's very interesting. I was talking to my parents actually uh, a few weeks ago, just trying to you know get to know them more and trying to, especially with the election, just sort of as adults because I, I live with them right now and. Uh, try to level with them and try to figure out like what we're all about because we never really did that but something that sort of came out of it was for me at least this this respect i guess is the word but this just awareness of the fact that certain things happen in life that completely reframe your priorities or at least have the potential to i think um getting married or having like a serious partner that you're making life decisions with um owning a home or owning things, especially yeah. jointly, and having kids. I think it's these sort of three very um, pivotal things that happen in your life that all of a sudden take you beyond yourself. Like all of a sudden you're making decisions based on someone else. You're making decisions based on multiple people, based on the future, based on a decade down the line instead of, um, I think when you're younger, there's this more, and not in a bad way, self-centered energy to life. Mm-hmm. It's sort of, what do I want to do? What do I want to be? Where do I want to go? Who am I? That kind of thing. And um, it just, yeah, it just makes me think about it. It just makes me think looking at these people. They're all humans, all three of them. Joe, obviously. But you know what I mean? Like, they're all their own people, but they're bound together by this thing, by this family unit that two of them chose, one of them didn't. And how do you reconcile all that, right? Yeah. How do you find out who you are within that and make the choices right for you with other people in mind? And no one ever really lets go of that first part of you, mm-hmm. right? Like, yeah. it's this sort of false ideal, I think, that, like, you can fully become about another person, you know? Like yeah, you become a father, you become a parent. Yeah, and, and like, there's this... become a, a couple. Yeah, and there's a sense in certain parts of society that, like, you have a child and then like your life, your is life over. becomes about that yeah, person. Yeah, totally. And I I feel like I imagine so few people actually feel that way. Like mm-hmm. you still have your own interests and needs and they're not always going to be related to your child. And yeah. I think these people bought into this sort of what I think is a lie mm-hmm. about um who who they could be with a child and as a family. Mm-hmm. And never really, or have have kind of squashed down and repressed that part of them that wants their own things. Yeah. 
And I think, yeah, I think it is sort of dangerous in that way. Um, this idea that, and it's rooted in a place of, God, so many things. Like you could, you know, talk about this at length for a year straight and never get to the bottom of it because I think we're all trying to answer this question. But um, I think people kind of view parenthood as this purpose that they can sort of achieve in their, you know, there is this shift. I'm not to downplay like parenthood as a, as a huge force in life, but I don't think it eliminates you as an individual. And we see that in this movie, right? We see Carrie Mulligan struggle to be her own person and struggle to find agency, I guess, or to find a sense of self within this marriage, within this role of being a mother. Um, you get the sense that, you know, she's been setting aside her choices so that Jerry can find his own meaning. And she's let herself kind of be pulled around the country and, you know, been okay with it to some extent for a long time. And then sort of finally has this moment where it's like, I'm, I'm just going to do my thing. And it's, it's, it's a gray thing. Like it's not good. It's not bad, but it's definitely, it's this pivotal, like she decides like, I'm going to start, I don't know. It starts to unwind, and I think there's so much in that. Like, I'm trying to, both times I was watching it, I was trying to figure out what sort of kicks that off, what sort of leads her to sort of, because eventually she ends up having an affair and uh, making some dubious choices as a mother, which I, I don't want any of this to sound like, uh, you know, shaming or anything like that, because Lord knows I have no idea what it's like to raise a kid. But I think you can say fairly that. There's a couple of moments she, in this movie where you're like, yeah, that's not good. That's, that's a bad She call. probably regretted. Yes, exactly. Regretted. And I think that's my barometer is looking yeah. at a character's choices. And it's like down the line, if you had been like, hey, how do you feel about that choice? They'd right. probably go, yeah, that wasn't good. Yeah. And I, I think, um, I mean, there, there are these scenes early on where um, Jerry has lost his job. and uh and Jean is telling him that she's gonna get a job mm -hmm. and he's he just isn't really having it he's not really like combative about it but he's he's it's not... a very quiet conflict in the beginning yeah they don't yeah. have to yell and there's still this tension right but there's there's this clear sense that there are roles for this family and that jerry is the one who should be earning like a proper mm -hmm. family is one where Gene can stay home and take care of their son and mm. blah, blah, blah. And Jerry can go do his thing and find his life's meaning. Mm -hmm. um, and then, yeah, it's like a, it's this spring that's being like tightened, right? Or I don't know what the right metaphor is, but yeah, it, yeah. but it's being wound tighter and tighter. And there's this sense of like, when is that going to release? Like how, if you keep having these conversations, we are sort of dancing around this dynamic that I think you do sort of see. I don't know if it's, I don't think it's an inherently American thing, but you do see it in a lot of, uh, you know, the suburbs did kind of breed this idea of, you know, the woman as the homemaker. Um, yeah. I mean, the man like is the entire providing. Western civilization. Totally. This, right? And, uh, and like not to get too far off the beaten path, but like you'd see, there were these like different illnesses um, in the fifties that housewives would start to get. Mm -hmm. And 
it was, you know, I think at the time they referred to it as like melancholy or different things like that, but like truly deep, deep depression because all of a sudden people are being told, this is your role, this is exactly what you're meant to do, but it's incredibly lonely. Um, it's very limiting in terms of, you know, what you're able to think of in terms of your life, what you're able to do because it's like, oh no, this is your purpose. Like this is what you're going to do. Yeah. And that's coming from all sides. It's coming from your parents. It's coming from your spouse. It's coming from your, you know, friends. Your, if you had a job, like your bosses, it's like, oh, this is cool that you're doing work. But also, like, you have a kid. You should probably be at home. Right. And, and it seems like, you know, that just doesn't ring true for them. Yeah. For her, at mm-hmm. least. And they're both unhappy in that, but they're both still holding on to it because it does give them a sense of normalcy. They're, they're sort of like, quote, doing it right. Right. Mm. Until they see how empty yeah. that can be. Totally. Yeah. In a way, too, to jump kind of to the end of it, um, I think growing up I was always sort of told and sort of given the impression that divorce was an inherently bad thing, that it as a concept was just not good. And you see the end of this and they do split up and you know she comes back to visit but they're fairly cordial you know joe's staying with his father it seems like things at least from the glimpse that we get things are better in a certain way well they're able to maintain civility which is not something yes. they were able to do exactly before they got divorced and if i, I don't know it's obviously a tiny little sliver of a glimpse that we see but um it, but but it's the it slice. seems like the right choice for them yeah, and like it's, them staying together would not have been good at all. And it's the slice that the movie decides to show us. Definitely, right? Like, um, I actually have an interesting quote. Um, this is from the IMDb trivia, but it's about uh, the director. Uh, so, quote: When Paul Dano requested the rights to adapt Richard Ford's novel into this movie, he received the following response: "Quote: I am grateful to you for your interest in my book, but I should also say this in hopes of actually encouraging you. My book is my book. Your picture, were you to make it." is your picture. Your movie maker's fidelity to my novel is a no great concern to me. Establish your own values, means, goal. Leave the book behind so it doesn't get in the way. Which, fuck yeah. Um, <laughs> I, adaptation is such a tricky thing. Um, I think people are starting in the mainstream to realize that books, novels especially, don't always translate well into a movie. Right. It's actually not a very good transfer. Right. And as such, you have to make some very bold decisions that people sort of reject out of hand, I feel like, oftentimes. So to hear this author, which you can probably tell me more about the book, and I'd, I'd love to hear more, and I actually don't know much about him as a person, but just that, that glimpse of him as a person, too, is amazing because it gives Paul Dano the freedom to choose those glimmers, to choose those shards of these people's lives and focus it the way he wants to, which is amazing. Like that's such a, you know, blank check in terms of uh, doing your own thing. Yeah. For a first time director is so fucking cool. Like I'm looking forward to seeing what he makes beyond this because he really, you did the damn thing. Yeah. This is a great movie. Right. I don't know if I've stated my opinion yet, but I fucking <laughs> love this movie. Yeah, yeah, I did too. Uh, to uh, burst your bubble a little bit, uh, Richard <laughs> Ford's kind of a, an asshole. I, somehow I knew. <laughs> I don't know why. I uh, Like, you know, has done things that could be construed as racist and sure. 
Kind of a crazy dude. I mean, it was a book entirely populated by white people. I know it's set in Montana, yeah. but like, yeah, Lord, and <laughs> he's just he's kind of a nut. Yeah. Um, but well, and it's interesting because I think that the movie is pretty faithful to the book. You know, I, I it's been a little while since I read the book. It's totally. been probably like a well, year. Well, I think and a half because you get that freedom to do it your way, you will, in some senses trend back towards the source material you'll trend back to the thing that inspired you in the first place yeah and i i think too like the book is pretty sparse just like i think in a lot of ways the movie is pretty sparse Mm -hmm. and like minimalist yeah um and that just gives a lot of space i think echoes the the environment as well i mean this is montana yeah i'm not sure if that's the one that's like big sky country or whatever but yeah yeah it felt like that. Yeah. Not just in the scenery, which was also beautifully shot, but in the spaces between dialogue, in the acting choices, in these different things. Like, it's a very, it's a movie that, like, absolutely takes advantage of, like, sort of the negative space. Yeah. And I, I think, um, <laughs> in a lot of ways, this is, like, one of, to me, one of the more literary movies out there. Yeah. In that so much is like subtextual, like mm-hmm. so much of the interpersonal dynamics are so subtextual. Totally. Um, and it's like, an, it's very clear that an actor directed this movie. Yeah, no, that's a very you good know, point. Because it's like, it's just so slow. Um, not in a ba- it's or rather maybe patient might it's, be the right It's word giving for it. the actors a ludicrous amount of space. Yeah. And I think if it was a different story or if it was shot differently it would feel very actor heavy but because they did it in a savvy way all that space for the actors really really works yeah and i i think there's something to you know it's not even space for them to talk it's it's space for them to emote yeah or not even to emote just to have a blank face and let the camera work yeah like convey something about them this is a very like twitchy is the wrong word but this is a movie that revels in the twitches it revels in Mm -hmm. like the first shot that springs to mind when you know you said that was when jerry gets in the truck so after that there's a long shot where he says bye to his son which is also like a a very beautiful scene like they clearly care about one another he's got the great line about like men love men love men too like aren't you are you too old to give your dad a kiss and like put a pin in that one yeah, put a pin in that one and like gives him a hug, gets in the car, and also then the camera tracks with them and you watch the truck go down the road and the sun is so low in the sky. And just from mm-hmm. a filmmaker perspective, I was like, holy shit. They literally were all standing around, like the entire crew, camera guys, the actors, and they were waiting. And then they were like, okay, the scene is going to take a minute and a half. Go. <laughs> and then like did it just so that when they crack over the sun is like just above the horizon yeah yeah and it was just like that i've i've been there where it's like we, we're trying to get this shot and you have to be fucking on it and i was like i'm so glad they got that because yeah but it, anyway but right really quick um when he gets in the truck and he's going um you can't hear what he's saying over the, the right. truck noise yeah, and yeah. he like sort of looks over and he's clearly like introducing like, himself to someone and kind of like nods and he's got a smile on his face and then he does the Jake Gyllenhaal thing where he kind of 
you know, looks forward towards where he's headed. He looks forward towards that wildfire, kind of looks down, looks back for a second, and it's all in these little movements, and you know exactly what he's thinking. You know exactly where he's at mentally and yeah. emotionally. It's wild. And it, it feels, um, in a lot of ways, like those sorts of things can be overacted mm-hmm. and overdirected. Yeah. But it's just like, I, I can just imagine, like, I don't know anything about this, but like, you know, Paul Dano saying, just look there and then look there and then look there. And I promise it's all going to come together. I wish, yeah, I, I, I didn't seek out um, behind the scenes footage, but like the lack of, normally I like to see, like, sometimes you can find out what lens they use. Yeah. And I, I wish we had Dylan on this because he knows more about cameras, but um, those choices too very much uh, accentuate the actors. They have this incredibly shallow depth of field where literally like someone's eyes are in focus and their nose is slightly out of focus and everything from their like ears backwards is yeah. fuzzy. Yeah. And you are right there. Like you are in someone's face and yeah. you get all of that. And you can tell, like you said, there is this fairly masterful direction where they've not only casted people who are entirely capable of this. Um, by the way, Carrie Mulligan, is British. Mm-hmm. Um, Ed Oxenbold is Australian. Yeah. Uh, the guy who played the kid. Insane. Like, ludicrous. Right. I, I'm so mad at how good other people, like, other actors from other countries are just consistently incredible at accents. Yeah. But it's like you're saying. Like, I, I wish I could, I wish I could have been in the room to hear what he said to them. Like, as a director, but more so as an actor to another actor. Mm-hmm how you get that performance out of people. You know? Yeah, and it, everything about the movie feels so confident. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's just like, there's this trust that if like we can linger on this moment and that mm-hmm. something is going to come through to the viewer. Yeah. That I think is also true of the book and I think is what's true of good fiction in general is that it trusts that something is going to mm-hmm. come through all the cracks in what's portrayed. You know, yeah. like you don't have to say, this person feels super sad. Yeah. This person feels super angry. You know, like Jake Gyllenhaal doesn't need to always be screaming. Yeah. Um, to for the viewer to get the sense that he's feeling a lot of serious feelings right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's it's trust and it's intention. I think both of those things. Like yeah, it's it's absolutely this faith in the viewer, mm-hmm. which you know does often go unnoticed. I th- I think. Um, there's a reason why a lot of more commercial properties and stories are a bit more uh, on the nose and they are a bit more uh, explicit in the yeah. way that they tell you. Expository. Exactly. Yeah. Because there's this sense that if you don't do that, people are going to find it boring, which I, I think unfortunately is to some extent true. Um, well, and, and the trade-off is this is kind of a slow yeah. movie. Yeah. And I, you know, this is the kind of shit I seek out because I'm like, oh, this shit trusts me. Like, this is not, it's not like, you know, trying to be like, carry me along and be like, so this part right here is like, it's not, it's not trying to explain all that. Um, And it's like you said, there's, there's this other thing too, where each, it is self-assured. It's, and it seems effortless, which for me is a clear sign that there was an extreme amount of effort put into making everything purposeful. Um, I love it when there are uh, choices in 
I say editing, but it's it's it, it begins with planning, right? It begins with storyboards. It begins with like in the script saying, you know, there's going to be this shot, there's going to be this, and then we're going to cut to this. Um, there's this beautiful moment where so he starts to get to know this girl, um, Ruth. Yeah, Ruth, Ruth Ann, and uh, it's it's this nice friendship, and you know that when we see Joe the first time, he's on the football team and he's like riding the bench, and none of the other kids talk to him. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, dude, get out of there. Um, but <laughs> but eventually he meets this super chill girl, Ruth Ann, and she asks him like, "Oh, are you doing anything after work? And he, or are you doing anything after school?" And he's like, "Well, normally I work, but I'm free today." There's this one shot of them like frolicking. And oh, top down. Top down. Oh, such which, a good shot. That's the other yeah. thing too is like there are certain moments where there's this top down shot that gets used very, very particularly. Yeah. And but there's this one shot of them top down and they're like just running along a road. Yeah, running yeah. along a road, frolicking along, and then hard cut to Carrie Mulligan with tears in her eyes, waiting in silence with Jake Gyllenhaal at home for Joe to get home so they can be like your dad's leaving. Right. They give Joe this tiny moment of childhood, and then the rest of the movie is just him being thrust into adult situations by people struggling to figure out who they are. And it's like, God damn it. He gets that one moment of joy. Yeah. And those decisions feel to me so instinctual. Yeah. They feel like it doesn't feel like it's not contrived exactly it's not like yeah well here's his one moment mm-hmm. that's gonna make the math of this plot work it's yeah. more like this feels right to show him playing around yeah and it's gonna hurt a little bit more yes. when everything happens but we don't know exactly why but we're gonna yeah. trust this moment and i'm sure they did a whole lot of thinking about it yeah but it just feels um like the movie is open to what ever will come into it or mm-hmm. or i mean i'm again i'm sure that it's not fighting itself it's not fighting the material it's not trying to do something it isn't like it's clearly dano and zoe kazan and zoe kazan like knew like they they got it yeah from the beginning there's this clear sense of they understood what this was about they understood the story they wanted to tell which sounds like an obvious thing that sounds like a duh like if you haven't made if you haven't made a film if you have, or if you haven't like tried to create something that's this sort of a long process it's like anything if you try to draw something and you don't have the gesture down if you don't have you know these pre-sketches if you don't think ahead and you just try to jump right to this finished product you can always see it in the art you can mm. always see this sense of you were figuring it out as you went along, which can be good. Like, I'm not saying this is a bad thing. I'm not saying this never works. But when something is this self-assured and feels effortless and feels just like it breathes, like it is a, such a cohesive piece of art, it truly does speak to the fact that this project gestated for a while. He worked on it, workshopped it, drafted it over and over, got other people to weigh in. And on top of that, he's building on an incredible source material right right? yeah so he's got that leg up of this thing spoke to him this thing you know he knew instantly oh i want to do something with this because there's something here and he was smart enough to not he and zoe were smart enough to not write that magic out of it which is hard to do like it's so easy to fuck shit up especially like you see all these different adaptations they're like people taking properties and uh, 
Like I love Hellboy. Minor tangent. I love Hellboy. The 2019 Hellboy. Like hurt. It's one of the worst movies I've ever seen because it claimed to know the source material and it somehow just fundamentally misunderstood mm. it in a way that was so frustrating and saddening to me. Yeah. Which this is not. Right. Well, I, I would think that like the work or the things to know in wildlife are not like, you know, if I wanted to contrast this with what we've mm -hmm. talked about before, the Coen brothers, yeah. Coen brothers are all about placing plot points in like really genius uh -huh. areas where like everything comes together at the yeah. end, you know, this, this movie, the work isn't to construct a plot. The work is to know these characters deeply mm -hmm. and to know how like their landscape makes them who they are. Yeah. And like, you know, the, the period and everything, like everything is serving the internal experiences of these characters. Mm -hmm. And so, like, as you said before, they're not, the plot doesn't feel contrived yeah. because everything happens based on what these characters would do. Yeah, I, it's, it's interesting now that you've kind of like brought this focus onto, you know, these people, these emotions, that sort of thing. And this sort of organic, feeling to this where like it, it does feel sort of like a story um and I'll, I'll sort of bring dylan into this in a spiritual <laughs> way uh i watched uh mank the new david mm -hmm. fincher movie um about you know herman mankowitz co-wrote citizen kane etc um and uh, you know obviously fincher's known for being meticulous and for being mm -hmm. you know obsessive uh i think it's fair to say when it comes to constructing these projects um and it's it's interesting. I I really dig Fincher, but I'm starting to weary of his style. Mm -hmm. Dylan put it, and God, this is one of those things where like I know no one <laughs> listens to this show, but once in a while, people listen to this show. So I'm always wary of saying things that are like, you know, mean. Uh, which I think is just also a good strategy in life. Yeah. Like just always assume someone this will get back to whatever. But uh, Dylan sort of made this comparison where and apologies to david fincher he's like he feels like an incredibly talented film student mm -hmm. most of the time where there's choices made and it's incredibly smart it's slick it's stylish it's awesome it feels good um but kind of similar to like aaron sorkin it is constructed there is this this sense of those choices made where even somebody like the Coen brothers, I, I think yeah, totally. they, they're also very intuitive filmmakers. Their mm -hmm. movies breathe and they do this thing and it's very, very cool. But I don't think I'm ever not aware of the fact that I'm, you know, in this movie or I'm in this story when I watch them in Coen brothers, which is why I, I go to them for. Right. Right. But it is, a, it's a subtly different category of movie where this, uh, this movie wildlife, it, it does sort of feel like you are, like in these emotions with these people you're going along on this ride and it's lovely like it it felt so good watching it because every step of the way the music the cinematography the production design the acting the directing the editing like i can't think of a category of filmmaking that i felt let down or that didn't contribute to this sense of immersion yeah it's it's pretty wild yeah i just get the sense that paul dano isn't maybe a little less of like a control freak 
Yeah. You know, I, I mean, and I don't mean to this as a dig to anyone, but like, mm-hmm. you know, like I think about Wes Anderson. And it's a team life. effort, though. It's it's yeah. trusting other people to yeah. be a part of that. Yeah. But I think about Wes Anderson and like, mm-hmm. I, I love Wes Anderson movies. Another very stylistic director. But very yeah. stylistic, very like, you know, I, I just, I from what I understand of him, he's like, controls every bit of the process. Sure. Which is great, and they and it leads to something movies. very specific, and it's you go to it for that. But yeah, but Paul Dano seems like such an intuitive, like, let's try this yeah, thing. Yeah, I will say I'm very curious to watch something from him that is different. I'm curious to see the versatility. I'm curious to see if he can do something that isn't this, that isn't yeah. an actor-based, very quiet, very spatial film. Um, which, again, I don't think everyone needs to do everything. I think there's this sort of jack-of-all-trades mentality that if someone's a genius, they need to be good at everything. Um, especially with actors. like I think people kind of mock the idea that an actor plays the same type of character over and over. And for me, it's like, well, fuck it. If they do that character well, yeah, right. why not call them in for that role? Like It's, a, it's amazing when someone's transformative. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> But it's also fucking awesome when like there's an actor who plays like George Clooney. He plays the dope so well. Right. And when he shows up in something and he's the dope, I'm just like, fuck yeah. Like, yes. Like, this is what I want from this. All yeah. that to say, very, very curious to see what Paul Dano does beyond this movie. And I'm actually not sure if he's directed anything since then. I, yeah, I don't know. I'm, um, I'm really curious to see if this is his thing and he just makes incredibly good actor-driven emotional yeah, like stories that you just literary movies all into yeah or if he sort of like the coens is like all right let's try something else like let's yeah, make yeah. a different kind of movie because you hear that a lot from creators like you know you spend two three years of your life on a project and by the end of it you're like well that was fun uh i'm gonna go make a superhero movie now because yeah, i'm yeah, so yeah. goddamn tired of this beautiful you know family drama set in montana in the 19 like 60s yeah i mean i it is interesting to think about uh like filmmakers and they're sort of even when they're you know pretty wide in their range they you know like the coen brothers kind of come back to the same things mm-hmm. over and over yeah. again and um i would like to see paul dano do like oceans 14 oh <laughs> yeah right like that that added flair just you know additional yeah so i'm very very it would probably be like a four-hour movie (laughs) yeah right everyone has like their scene where they're like talking about like yeah their parents looking (laughs) off dramatically for 10 seconds um yeah i'm distracted because i was trying to figure out what he's directed and i can't find it easily but um yeah there's a there's a couple things i i wanted to kind of talk about this movie so it is a very actor-driven movie i think um Everyone, the the three main people and uh, Mr. Miller as well, really crush it. I think yeah. they do a very good job. Uh, Carrie Mulligan plays the uh, the trapped woman incredibly well. Um, I I kind of wrote down when I was watching it that she something about her energy has this like very bird in a cage vibe to it. Yeah, like and you saw that in Great Gatsby. You saw it in Drive. Um. And that's kind of what got me thinking about, you know, actors who have a thing that they do incredibly well. She has this, like, sad smile and this, like, way of being, like, 
oh, like, la la, like, life is fine, but you can tell it's not. Yeah, it's like this sort of understated. I just, I think about, um, I can't remember, if some YouTuber made some video about Jack Nicholson, the one that's the actor that's not the golfer. Uh, nerd writer. Did yeah, yeah, essay yeah. on Jack Nicholson. Yeah. Nicholson, not Nicholas. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I always yeah, get yeah. confused. Yeah. Uh, but how, like, his rage is actually an expression of a whole bunch of different emotions. There's Yeah, there's and, colors to it. And I and I think the same is true for, for Carrie Mulligan. And, and mm. even just in this movie, like, she kind of has one expression that mm-hmm. expresses everything. Which... To that, to that end, I also just watched the Twilight movies again um, with Dylan and Kate, and we did an episode. But people give Kristen Stewart a lot of shit for having like certain um, expressions that she comes back to often. Yeah, and it's it's part of a larger like go listen to the episode because like it's a fascinating study in culture and in like bandwagoning and in um, sort of jumping on the hate train. Kristen Stewart, who is a very talented actor, um, gets a lot of shit for having certain expressions that she comes back to. But there's nuance in there, and it's used incredibly well in that similar way, where it's it's there's shades of this thing that they come back to. And like that's why you cast certain people, right? Like It's kind of yeah. silly that we expect people to be, like everyone to be Jim Carrey or everyone to be you know Robin Williams or something, where they can just do all these different things. But it's like, well, when you need a wrench, you grab a wrench. When you need a, a drill, you grab a drill. In some senses, like in terms of casting, it's like we need somebody like Jake Gyllenhaal. We need somebody who has this earnestness with this chaos bubbling underneath. Yeah. Like yeah. Uh, Nightcrawler being sort of the very far edge of that. Yeah, or Zodiac. Or yeah, or Zodiac. Yeah. Or it's, it's this well-spoken character who, you know, sort of, has these ideals and has these things that he believes in and there's always this crackle of chaotic yeah. energy underneath Jarhead that's like too. bubbling yeah exactly yeah, yeah, yeah. but and he's yeah. really fucking good like and he, he can like have such a perfect haircut yeah and, <laughs> yes. and like yes but everything ends underneath that yes exactly like and, and metaphorically he's got the perfect haircut yeah. he's like he's buttoned down but there's some shit going on yeah and Carrie Mulligan has this like the expression of the movie for her, I think, is smiling and crying at the same time. Yes, like, which is is just like amazing. Yeah, that, like a front within a front. Yeah. Um, and even uh, Ed Oxenbold, mm-hmm. perfect casting. Like I, it first starts off, and I'm like, who is this kid? Like, what what's going on? He's so pleasant that when I first started watching this, I was like. I don't know, man. Like he's so yeah, and I he's think so chill. In a lot man. of ways, he, like he could come off as bland. Like he yeah, he's so like but monotone. If you, but if you dig, if you really look at it, I mean, like I I, I wrote down a couple things. Uh, I have a couple alternative titles for this movie. Hmm. Um, the first one is Joe is taken aback and somehow still responds tactfully, <laughs> uh, or perhaps Joe is pop quizzed with adult questions by both his parents. <laughs> Um, because that's the movie yeah yeah totally the movie is Joe getting put into situations no 14 year old should be put into right either emotionally verbally or like physically being put in these situations and being deeply uncomfortable and trying to figure out how to respond to that loving both his parents but watching them grow to hate each other and growing apart 
trying to, you know, navigate adolescence. Yeah, and he's really... that support system's not really there. But it is, like, clearly, like, his dad loves him. Clearly his mom loves him. But, my God, they put him through it. Yeah, I mean, in a lot of ways, it's this role reversal, right? Like, yeah. he's trying to parent his yeah. parents. Well, and they show, and... early on, they show Carrie Mulligan shopping at the store. They show her doing these various things. And, again, the intentionality of this movie is awesome. They show you these things to set up these patterns. And then at a certain point in the movie, he goes out and Joe goes out. The kid goes out and right. is grocery shopping. Yeah. He's buying things to fix the toilet. He's doing these different things. And you see him and not even in – and this is why the casting is so brilliant. The tone of those choices and the tone of that character entirely rests on the facial expression. Mm-hmm. He has this pleasant sort of like, okay – like that sort of vibe where he's like, he's sort of rolling with it and he's sort of like thinking the best of people up until he's literally confronted with their worst qualities and he's still giving them like the benefit. And anyone else, like it could have been a resentful portrayal. It could have been, he could have been more like Jake Gyllenhaal where like a different actor, same exact choices, same exact direction, same exact everything. But if he had... Like, I'm not even kidding. Different eyebrows. And he had this expression that was more hurt or was more pained or was more angry. Even saying the exact same things, totally different movie. Yeah, because this isn't, like, about the story of a child's delinquency or, how, like, no. the unraveling of a person. It's yeah. like, it's... He kind of makes... He survives this. Like, he makes it through. And he's the one who makes them sit down exactly. together and take the picture. Yeah, which... um I got a good quote from the uh, the the Photoshop owner who mm. I love that guy. Like, yeah. And, and uh, speaking of like Cohen like casting, this movie <laughs> fucking incredible. Like yeah. all the bit players, uh, Ruth Ann, uh, the guy who plays uh, Mr. Miller. Uh huh. He's fantastic. His fucking voice is so. Uh, he's very uh, like he's right. he's like a combination of warm and. Uh, you know, kindly, but also you don't trust him. Can I guess what quote? Yes. Yeah, I'd, I'd love quote. to see. Um, people like to come in here to remember something good that's happening <laughs> yeah. in their lives. That way they can make it permanent. Yeah. Yeah, I've got, you see, people like to come in here to remember something good that's happening in their lives. They want to make that happy moment permanent. That way they can keep it forever. And we're here to help them do that. Yeah. And that's that's Joe. Like, he's... Right. In that moment, he's saying, like, he's realizing, oh, life changes. It changes rapidly. It changes drastically. But you can hold on to those happy moments just because things are changing and they're not the same. I can sort of capture that. And yeah, I can, and, like, I can still love my parents. I can still love my parents. Even though I've seen this, like, yes. really ugly side of them. Yes. And it, I think that's why this movie also felt so good is on top of everything, especially, you know, at the end of 2020, um, it's nice to have something that isn't saccharine. It's not beating you over the head with a fucking lollipop. Um, yeah. But it is this positive end to a very, very ugly and in yeah, subtle ways like brutal story. Yeah. Something. Like, yeah, you get I the mean, sense like, that they're going to keep living. Yeah. And like, even though they went through this thing, she's going to figure her shit out. Like, maybe not successfully, but she's doing her thing. It seems like by the end of it, the dad is a salesman. He's found a job and right. he's 
seems like he's found that purpose that he's been craving. Yeah. And the kid is doing all right. And yeah. it's like, holy shit. Like, Just by the fact that nice. this kid literally saw his mother cheat yeah. on his father and his father tried to commit arson. Yeah, dude. Like, like yeah. Tried this to kid has seen watch, some yeah, watch his dad almost self-immolate, yeah. almost murder That's a right. dude by burning his house down. Yeah. Like, he really, really goes through it. And I mean, for me too, I I, th- I think there's this like life lesson that I've like, kind of learned where, at least for me, for a while there, I was like, if people don't treat you well, and there's this sort of re- repeat um, sort of abuse of that relationship, um, abuse of that relationship. Uh, like I know it sounds like abusive, but... Um, yeah. The the abuse of friendship, the abuse of family ties. In in my mind, it's this thing where I see so many people I know kind of go through life and because, you know, their family's a certain way or because their partner's a certain way or their best friend is a certain way, they they think that they kind of have to let it happen. And, you know, I've kind of been an advocate for like, no, like if stuff isn't working and you try to work it out and it's still unhealthy and toxic, like you've got one life to live. Like walk away from that shit. Yeah. And it's always interesting to see things, and in real life to talk to people who have people in their lives that are truly awful, but there's something there, and they stick with it. Hearing that other side of it, where someone's like, "No, I'm gonna," like even though I watched my dad, you know, try to burn this guy's house down, even though I watched my mom really not be a good mom for a while. Like in this movie, seeing those and seeing this character see those things happen. And still have that love and still seek out those happy moments and still seek out, like, we're going to get through this. Like, yeah. life is going to continue. It's very hopeful. Yeah, it's hopeful. I, yeah, I hesitate to call it, like, a happy ending. It ends in yeah. divorce. Mm-hmm. It ends in this kid separated from his mom. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there are all these days after the attempted arson. Sure, yeah. Where, like... This kid's got to be pretty uncomfortable and yeah. pretty unhappy, you know, having some dark. But days. his response to everything that happens is honestly pretty inspiring. Like, I, you know, it's been a rough year, and I feel like my response to a lot of the things that have happened, I've had to sort of pivot like everybody. And I've sort of tried to learn as much as I can and do different things, but there's definitely some bitterness, some resentment, some you know, projected anxieties that come with the pandemic and like working in the service industry during that. Yeah. And it it sounds like a leap, but seeing a character deal with these things in their life and putting up with stuff and finding a way to emerge from it all the better, even just from these glimpses we see, but that, that sort of like, not like, you know, always smiling, always trying to see the bright side. Because I think it is healthy to feel rage. It's healthy to feel those negative feelings, like not to ignore them. But he really does try to just live and like yeah, kind and of take that in. And not judge people for what yeah, they do. It's, in, it's judge, pretty he, incredible. Like, I think he judges their actions. Sure, I which I does, think is, I, and I, again, I think that's healthy as well. Right. I think you can love someone and still know that what they did is entirely reprehensible and like not okay yeah Um, like he doesn't stick around after his dad tries to burn that house he runs exactly and i think the whole movie i was waiting to see what would his breaking point be like Mm -hmm. where would he draw the line with his mom where would he draw the line with his dad where would he you know stick up for himself to both of them where would he do these sorts of things and it's 
it's tough to say. Like the most emotive he gets, at least initially, is when he comes home and his dad, mom's like, your dad's leaving to fight the fire. And his reaction is pretty visceral. He's like, yeah. he's like whoa, like dad, why? Like, why are you doing that? Like, you can see that concern. Yeah. And then later as well, it's, it's interesting. I think his dad brings out that side in him because most of his strongest reactions are either to things his dad said, did, or chose to do. Which, hmm. from the book, like, are there are there large differences, or like, is it is the book no, from I, I Joe's perspective? Yeah, the book is from Joe's perspective. I think it's pretty. Similar. It's first person, right? Uh, yeah. Okay. Which yeah. also, um, I will say, another bit of trivia. There's not much of it, but there's some. Um, I'll just quote it uh, from IMDb trivia. Paul Dano said it was tempting to use voiceover in the movie. But the filmmakers chose to set a challenge for themselves and do it without, thereby putting all of their effort into telling the story through the experience of the boy. Which, again, totally different movie. I don't think I would have enjoyed well, this nearly as much if I would have been in his head. Well, and what's interesting is that the second time I watched it, mm -hmm. I was waiting for the voiceover to start. Because it feels... Yeah. It does, you don't need the voiceover to be entirely in Joe's consciousness. Mm -hmm. Um. And the so combination like, of the cinematography, the acting, things like that, you do walk away. And if five years down the line, if I wasn't thinking clearly about it, and someone was like, yeah, and like the whole voiceover of the kid like narrating it, <laughs> yeah. you could trick me. Like you could right, absolutely, yeah. like you're saying, I, I would believe it. If someone was like, yeah, like the, the narration of the voiceover, like the kid talking about like, or like an older version of him, like when I was 15, yeah. I moved to Montana, like my dad. Because like the book has that tone. I. I think right. I read the first third of it, maybe, mm -hmm. because you, you recommended it a long time ago. Yeah. And it has that very plain, plain spoken sort of, like, this happened and this happened, and my dad wasn't working. It's the same time. sort of, like, monotone yeah. approach to life. Yeah. That, I don't mean as a dig, but... No, yeah, for sure. Like, but sort of unfathomable. Non, not ornate. Yeah. Not overwrought. Not... Uh, like I have another quote that sort of speaks to the language. Um, like he comes back from Joe comes back from saying bye to his dad and uh, is talking to his mom and sort of passes on the message where he's like he didn't mean to make you mad. And she's laying there and she says to him, "He has very beautiful intentions," yeah. <laughs> which is so simply put and is so. It says something about her. It says something about him. It says something about their past. It says something right. about the way she feels about it. Like And about all of their relationships. So much is loaded yeah. into it. And the way that she talks about her husband, his father, to him is there's so much to to like latch onto and to yeah. analyze in a way that doesn't even feel sort of like English classy. You know what I mean? Like I, I have a bad habit of trying to make sure that I get it in quotes, get yeah. it. Um, and which like, I, which I think is often like themes symbol things. hunting. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And yeah. I, I'm trying to trust myself. Like uh, somebody recently, I think it was actually Kate on the Twilight episode, maybe before we were recording, she was like, you guys are getting pretty good at this. And I was like, <laughs> like what the fuck are you talking about? She's like, well, like film analysis and stuff. Like you're, you guys are, you've come a long way. And I just, I don't, I, I know that I can like, analyze these things and i can tell when i watch stuff i am more eloquent both in the way that i express 
how I feel about things and why. Like I can point to things and mm-hmm. be more be more specific. But there's this lingering feeling, especially with stuff like this. Um, I think to some extent with with you as well, because you know, you are working towards this MFA. We used to have these very, you know, sort of cultured conversations about yeah. uh literature and things. And it's I don't think it's a drive to impress. I think it's this sense of I want to be able to speak to these larger themes. I don't want it to go over my head. And as much as I like when someone's like, you know, it's uh it's really about love. Like mm-hmm. like when someone leans in and tells you that thing. I love that moment when someone's like, Hey, here's this thing you didn't notice and I go, Oh my God. So like I love it when I don't notice it, but I still worry that I don't notice it. Yeah. Which I think people have that when it comes to artsy things. They have this fear of shit i'm not gonna get it when i think that's related to what we were talking about earlier about you know comparing paul dano to these other directors who i think are very much like are very often trying to create this thing right like they're trying to which is the most vague way i could have put that (laughs) but um they're trying to create this aha moment or something Whereas Paul Dano, I think, wants us to just sit and look at these people for a while. Yeah. You know, like, he's not trying... I mean, there are some very clear symbols, and there's, uh, you know, the subtlety to that. Again, you can mm-hmm. analyze to some degree, but, you know, I, I think if Paul Dano is watching us watch this, he doesn't want us to be able to mm. write five bullet points about totally. each character in each moment. Well, how dry is that? You know, right. like how how much less fun is it to think, oh, there's like this is like one of those pictures where like you have to spot five things and like there's a there's a right answer and there's a thing like that. Like it it it's like you're saying, it's really not that. Like if you ask Paul Dana, what is this movie about? It'd be like it's about family, it's about love, it's about people. It's a, like it's those same plain words that are used in the dialogue and are used in the script. It, that's what it's about like it's these larger things that you get to sort of swim in and sort of come to your own conclusions but see these people yeah and and i'm not certain that everything in there is articulable like yeah so i, I mean one of my favorite scenes i think i'm jumping the gun here a little bit but one of my favorite scenes no, is tracking the car as it's driving through oh, the foothills dude yeah and like what's the point of the scene like mm. It does not push forward the plot. Yeah. It doesn't even show the characters. It For just me, shows yeah. them driving through there. And I th- and there's something about the resonance of that. Mm-hmm. That's hard to like say like it's this one to one relationship. It's a sure, symbol yeah. of something. And I'm sure like it is a symbol of something, mm-hmm. but it's also just meant to be looked at yes. and experienced and it does something subconsciously mm-hmm. that like is impossible to fully describe. I think for me, it's a sense of place and a sense of space. Like yeah. it's, it's almost like um, album covers with music. Um, I I don't think they necessarily have to reflect the themes of what's going on, but it is it truly like the whole <laughs> the whole adage of don't judge a book by its cover. I think that's one of the stupidest sayings <laughs> of all time. I judge books by their cover. I judge movies by their poster. I judge music by its cover and the idea that you know oh like you gotta look past that it's a lovely sentiment and like it is true like sometimes you you have to see beyond what you initially see 
But in the case of art and like books specifically, like to get way too literal with the saying, it fulfills that function where it's like, if you give me a cover that feels a certain way, even if it doesn't link thematically, there's no essay to be written about it, but it gives you a vibe. It gives you a sense of environment. It gives you a sense of when you're listening to that music, those are the colors you see. And that means something like that builds for a visual medium like cinema. Yeah. Like, we don't have to go hunting for that meaning in those right. shots, but it is this sense of they're in this wide open place. Like they came to this land that they're not familiar with and they're trying to find themselves in it. You can wax poetic about it, right? Like I can, I can talk the talk if I want to, but for me at the heart of it, it literally just, I remember watching on my TV and just being like, holy shit. Like you just, you have this sense of awe and this sense of like, God, damn like yeah or when he looks at the wildfire right it lingers so long in his reaction and he walks up to it and my god what a fucking good actor like this kid's like 19 years old or something 17 at the time of filming i think and it's all just his face and as he's watching this thing and you see it reflected in his eyes and he like tears up and his mom's like what do you like it which is she's got the weirdest fucking questions yeah, dude. Yeah, she's yeah. like do you like it and he's like, no, <laughs> I right. don't. Like, I'm terrified. I can feel right. the heat of this destructive force on my face. I'm just picturing my dad dying. And then it cuts to what he sees, and he walks away, and it pans up. Right. And you see this force of nature, and it's grand, but it's understated, and it's just huge. And it's just there, and it, like, it feels right. In and, the yeah, and any words you could say about what that represents – or about what he's thinking, mm -hmm. or about what Gene is trying to get him to think, or what Gene thinks is going to happen here. Any explanation of that with words does not fully convey mm -hmm. what's happening there. Yeah. Like, it just has to be, like, seen. Yeah. You know, and, I, yeah, I just think about, you know, trying to give things this one-to-one -one relationship or this sort of mathematical plotty kind of thing. Yeah. Instead of just accepting that, and I think part of the the like thematic thrust of the movie is that people don't know why they're doing things, yeah, and that they don't have a good reason. Mm -hmm. and but it all feels right. Like, yeah, you watch them do these things. they're like, yeah, that seems right, but I it, can't it say resonates. Exactly why. It doesn't feel like a a contrived thing. yeah, um, nor does it feel wrong. Like yes. nor does it feel like something they shouldn't, which have done. is one of those funny things where, like you can watch something and you can go. I don't think they do that. Even though like people are people, they can do whatever they want, whenever they want, but you can watch something and something can happen and they can, and you can just go, ah, you know, honestly, like, no, yeah. Like that's not, that's not it. Um, and you're sort of speaking to this, uh, this sort of like intentional vagueness, uh, this intentional non answer where something I think about a lot and something that actually scares me a lot is, the idea of truth, um, sort of like truth with a capital T, this idea that there is something that is true, something that is objectively right, and it's this comfortable thing that we like to think something's true. When in reality, there's hardly anything that is absolutely true, uh, especially when you look at people, when you look at biographies, you're trying to look at the decisions somebody made. It is all speculation, translation, um, observation it's just it's this game of trying to get in someone's head 
even if they tell you, even if they give you their fucking diary and they're like, this is why I did the things I did. This is my life. This is me. They are choosing to remember that moment a certain way. And I think for me, the most effective character choices do come down to this sense of remembering that characters are human. Sometimes they, A, don't know why they're doing the things they're doing. B, are choosing to do things and then remembering them a certain way because they want to feel a certain way about yeah. the things that they did and the choices that they made. And that's the humanity in it. I think if you watch something where the writer is less aware of that, I think it's very easy to have characters make choices because that's who they are and that's what they do. And it is very, you know, regimented and it's very cut and dry. Yeah. Which and it is also effective. But something like this, I think it feels so human because humans are fucking complicated and it's like language fails to convey that complexity. And I think the beauty of language and the beauty of art is our attempt to be like, here's our best guess. And that vague vagueness is for me like the, the beautiful attempt to sort of make that permanent it's sort of what he's doing with the camera it's like finding that happy moment yeah there's like this mysterious truth in there yeah that's i think is really true mm -hmm. but is just impossible to say yeah or you know like yeah i mean I, I if we compare this to like a superhero movie where you know everybody has these motivations mm -hmm. you know and they're usually i, I don't know I, I think it's getting at a different thing than what this movie is getting at yeah. that is like in a lot of ways to me this movie is getting at the core of like what it means to be human and not just what it means to like yeah someone's chasing you and you need to get rid of them or something totally well and, and story is choices right you hear that over and over so much that it's kind of a cliche but those choices then you know illuminate something about the character illustrate something that's true about them or something that they're trying to figure out and those choices and the way they go about them is what differentiates this from, yeah, like you said, a superhero movie. And it's different. You, you know, you go to different things for different feelings and you go to them for different outcomes. And yeah, it is, it is sort of one of those things where I think it's more, maybe it's an external internal thing. Like this is much more an internal sort yeah. of, even though obviously if you oversimplify it, things are still happening that the characters are having to respond to, um, which is true of any story. But this one feels a lot more in people's heads. And you can, you can see it visually too, right? Because right. it's a visual medium. It's close in on people's faces. They spend most of the time on people's expressions. And when they do cut out, it's letting it breathe. It's, it's giving you a sense of space, a sense of environment. Yeah. And, and then it cuts back in as opposed to you know, choices made in a superhero movie where you're seeing everyone all at once or there's combat solving things or there is good and there is evil and there's objectives and there's, you know, something pushing the plot forward as opposed to this where it's just kind of life. In yeah, a sense. And, and I think that the expressions are so complicated and they're so full of contradiction. Um, like, like I was saying earlier, like Gene has this sort of, smile and crying at the same thing at the same time happening um and then you know like jerry has a sort of like calm but angry thing yeah. happening and 
Joe is like everything is coming at him and he's just unperturbed. Yeah. But but and he's like very yeah, very good at rolling with the punches. Yeah. But there's just this sort of um I don't know. It's just interested in the things that are difficult to like um explain away. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I think that's part of why I think this is such a genius film is that it captures something uh so much more subtle and like deep and contradictory about human beings. Yeah. Something. And I, and you know, I never want to, you know, praise something at the expense of something else. Like I think that's a very, you know, PlayStation versus Xbox, Pepsi versus Coke sort of mentality. Um, but you know, and we had a recent conversation in a bonus episode, Dylan and I did about, um, superheroes specifically and trying to tell stories and trying to say things about life and for me i'm I'm sort of coming around to this idea that you know it is i'm to use uh an analogy twice and one thing it's it's tools right you reach for a wrench to do a certain thing you reach for a drill to do a certain thing and it's not to say that you can't tell you know these heavy human stories in the superhero context in an action movie whatever else you absolutely can, but I think it's it's the same way that you can use several different tools to do a certain job, but one of them is going to do the job the best, you know? Like, yeah. I can loosen something with the perfect socket wrench, like it's the exact size, it's, you know, got this ratchet to it, it's smooth, boom. I can also grab, like, a crescent <laughs> wrench try to tighten it down on there and just hork it until it comes off. I'll get the nut off. Don't worry. Like I will do it, but I'll probably end up like scraping it in the process. Like it's, it's that in my mind, it's sort of this thing where not to discount the superhero genre as a whole, but you go to it for specific things. And I think it thrives when it's not trying to, you know, tell us something deep about humanity because at its core, it's a little bit ludicrous, you right. know, and, and like, and that's okay. Like, I love that and I go to it for that, but it's, you're never going to get like wildlife with superheroes. Yeah. Or, or, I mean, even to contrast it with something that I think is more like in quotes, high film or something, you know, like sure. something that's less poppy, but like no country for old men is mm-hmm. a fantastic movie. One of my favorite movies, but in each scene, you know, what the character's thinking, mm-hmm. what they want, what they're trying to do. And that is a very plot-driven film, too. Yeah, there's, there's and it's stakes, great. There's action scenes. There's, yeah, like, it, it's kind of, it's a good example because it sort of challenges what we're saying. It challenges, oh, this is this very organic thing that's hard to pin down, and it's hard to say exactly what it's about. No Country for Old Men, it, like you said, and going back to the Coens, it's very specific. It's made with a lot of intention. But it still retains that humanity. It still retains this sense of what it's trying to say, and that one gets more into good and evil. I think. Yeah, and I th- in I a way think that it's this also doesn't. like a pretty black and white yeah, portrayal and, of that. And this movie is like, who knows what's good or bad? Exactly. Or... Yeah, wildlife isn't trying to tell you something is good or evil or things like that, which is interesting because it very much could have. It could have been much more moralizing. Right. Um, even in the way that they depict Carrie Mulligan's character having an affair, doing this thing that culturally I think most people would say, bad thing, we don't like that. Um. 
popping in to say uh, this is Dylan and this is unfortunately the end to part one of this uh, fantastic conversation. Make sure to tune in on Wednesday for part two of this great little chat about wildlife. Uh, and as always, make sure to you know give us a subscribe on Apple Podcasts if you like what you hear. Make sure to check us out on Instagram. So as always, stay cool and we'll see you next week.